The Trumpet Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the program. Right now, I'm in the great state of South Dakota here in the United States of America. And uh, seeing Mount Rushmore, which is uh, just behind me, it makes me think of the many messages that we've given to you over the, the years, particularly in the last few months, where we've emphasized the importance of history. The importance of history, and I'll point you to, to a couple of uh, scriptures here in just a moment, that shows just how important it is to God and to God's people. But, but even in looking at our society today, look at what's happening here in the United States of America. Look at what's happening in American cities where statues are being torn down and, and all of these, these monuments that people used to come from all over the world to see. And now you have this movement, this angry, divisive movement that just wants to tear down and destroy and cancel. Consider what it says in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 7. This is Moses writing to the Israelites. And he said, remember the days of old. Remember the days, the days of old. He said, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. Moses said, you remember those days of old. You remember your history. Ask the fathers, ask the elders and make sure that they tell you that they keep you grounded in your historical roots. Recently, the United States celebrated Columbus Day. Well, really, more and more people don't celebrate it. They've actually uh, done away with it in a lot of states. In Portland, they had some riots on that day or leading into Columbus Day. Antifa called it the Day of Rage. It was a relatively small group, about 200 protesters, but, but, and they weren't even protesters. These were rioters, and they toppled statues of former presidents Two of them on this mountain behind me, carved into this mountain, Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln. They pulled down those statues and then shattered the entrance to the Oregon Historical Society. Now, as I say, it wasn't even a huge crowd, but as we've seen over the course of this year, mayors and, and governors in many states here in the United States, they, they haven't, they, they've basically given space to the rioters. They haven't cracked down on this rioting, on this arson, on this looting. And so it just goes on and on and on. 200 rioters that could have been stopped probably within a matter of minutes. It wouldn't have been that hard to put a stop to it. One local newspaper said after toppling the statues, some protesters began smashing windows at the Oregon Historical Society unfurling a banner that read, Stop Honoring Racist Colonizer Murderers. So that's what they think now of Columbus. That's what they think of the founding fathers of the United States. But Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, my father had a program back in June of this year, June 19th, uh, 2020, how Lincoln won the Civil War. He said in that program that America has suffered through a Civil War once already, and today it's racing toward a second Civil War. And there's only one way to prevent this deadly tragedy, he said. So how do we prevent 
another civil war from coming, from happening. You see, as I say, you see America today deeply divided. How are we going to save this nation? Is it even possible? Well, as he pointed out in that program back in June, if you go back to the time of the, the Civil War in the 1860s, it was Abraham Lincoln that saved the nation. You talk about a, a giant of history. Abraham Lincoln stood up against those that, well, even those that just sort of passively watched what was happening. Quite a few others were, were barbarically dividing the nation. And Lincoln almost single-handedly held it together. If you look into that man's life, we find some clues that we need to delve into and study to understand how to save America today. Lincoln's thoughts and, and words, his leadership, his character saved the Union. It saved the Union. But where did that come from, that character? How did Lincoln grow from a child born on the frontier to a man who rose above politicians and generals and everyday people to save the nation? Well, something made him who he was. What was it? If you look at uh, Lincoln's education, well, if you look at all of us, really, each of us is a product of our education. Each of us is who he is because of our education. Not just in school, but in life. Even the radicals we see on the streets who want to erase America's history. They were educated to be radical. Herbert W. Armstrong once said that the future welfare and even the existence of civilization is dependent on the educational system. For individuals, for nations, education shapes our future. And what has been the education of our current generation? Well, I mentioned, I mentioned uh, Herbert Armstrong and what he said about how that we're products of our education. And he talked about modern education many years ago, saying little or nothing has been taught about God. But even in the elementary grades, the basic concept, the approach to knowledge, is evolution. He said that about education decades ago. Little or nothing is taught about God. But what was the education of the man, Abraham Lincoln, who held the nation together? Well, young Lincoln, he knew, he certainly knew that there was a creator, and that creator knew him. Carl Sandburg, he's the, uh, the famous biographer who wrote the six-volume biography of Lincoln in the 1920s, and it includes fascinating ways in which God intervened in Lincoln's education, in his very existence even. Sandburg wrote this, about the portentous dreams of, of Abraham's father. He said, his father had portentous dreams. His father told how in a night's sleep, once he saw a wayside path to a strange house, he saw the inside walls, the chairs, the table, the fireplace in that house. At the fireside, a woman was sitting and her face, eyes and lips came clear. She was paring an apple. She was the woman to be his wife. This was the dream, and in his night's sleep, it came again and again. 
He could not shake it off. It haunted him till he went to the path, followed the path to the house, went inside, and there saw a woman sitting at the fireside, paring an apple. Her face, eyes, and lips were those that he had seen so often in his night, night of sleep, in his dreams. And the rest of the dream came to pass. That's what Sandberg wrote many years ago. Well, that woman's name was Nancy, and she became the mother of one of the greatest Americans in history. His likeness is carved in the stone behind me. Abraham Lincoln, it sure seems that God wanted these two to marry, the parents that is, to marry and to have young Abraham. And when he was old enough to learn about this from his parents, uh, those dreams, those portentous dreams, it had a real effect on Abraham. Now Nancy, his, his mother died when Abraham was just nine years old. And that same year, little Abe was kicked, uh, kicked by a horse so badly that at first they thought he had been killed. But uh, he recovered and his father remarried. Abraham's stepmother, her name was Sarah. And she would also exert a great influence on his early education. And how did she educate him? Well, she read to him often. And it was usually from the same book. Her reading to him and, and teaching him from that book was how he learned to read even and to write in the first place. That book, as you probably know, was the Holy Bible. Abraham Lincoln was educated in large part by the Bible as a young man. He loved reading it. He studied it. He read every other book that he could get his hands on, including other writings about the Bible. Out in a shack on the American frontier, this was Abraham Lincoln's educational system. His entire life included less than one year of formal schooling, and yet he became a great ruler of men, being educated early on by the Bible. Carl Sandburg wrote, Lincoln read the Bible closely knew it from cover to cover, was familiar with its stories and its poetry, quoted from it in his talks to juries, in political campaigns, in his speeches, and in his letters. When he encountered death of loved ones or friends, Lincoln often quoted the Bible. He told his half-brother to tell his dying father later in life to put his trust in his maker and when a dying woman asked him to read scriptures before anyone could bring him a Bible, he just started quoting Psalm 23 from memory. Later in life, this is Sandberg, he wrote, upon receiving a Bible as a gift, actually I think this might be from uh, just a news, news report from a few years ago, uh, but this turned up. He wrote this about receiving a gift that was a Bible. He said, in regard to this great book, I have but to say, it is the best gift God has given to man. All the good the Savior gave to the world was communicated through this book, but for it we could not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare, here and hereafter, are to be found portrayed in this book. That's what Lincoln believed about the Bible. Now, what's interesting, if you look at Carl Sandburg's biography, he wrote the sixth volume 
uh, biography back in the 1920s. And then he came along, I think about 30 years later, and wrote the abridged version in 1954, or thereabouts. And a lot of this history, Abraham, young Abraham Lincoln's history with God, that was just left out of the abridged version. Now you have to give him some poetic license, I guess. He can't keep all six volumes in the one volume version. But isn't it amazing that so many of these inspiring accounts, these inspiring instances that he had with his parents, with God even, with the Bible, that somehow or another that was just erased from the abridged version. And the abridged version, I mean, that was back in the, the 1950s. You can really see, even then, this uh, satanic effort to erase God from our history. I've given programs on that uh, before. Satan really hates the history of the modern-day nations of Israel. My father points out in the Ezekiel booklet that he hates his own history, and so he's trying to blot it out. The Bible says that Satan's hard at work trying to blot out the history of Israel. And of course, Israel today, Israel today is primarily Ephraim and Manasseh or the United States and Britain. We're going to offer you on this program uh, Herbert Armstrong's classic prophetic work, the United States and Britain in prophecy. So stay tuned. Take all the information down on your screen and make sure you call our operators today to request the United States and Britain in Prophecy. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. Abraham Lincoln, the savior of our union, was a self-taught country lawyer who grew up in a log cabin on the American frontier. The first Republican president, he rose to high office from obscurity based on a force and clarity of his anti-slavery convictions. Very, very strong convictions. That's a clip there from President uh, Donald Trump in a speech that he gave right here at Mount Rushmore back in July of 2020. Just to return for a moment to the Carl Sandburg biography, he writes of other ways, not just his education, but other ways that God intervened in shaping Abraham Lincoln. It's well known that Lincoln taught himself to become a skilled trial lawyer. Now, how did he do that? Well, he was a 23-year-old, heavily indebted clerk of a store and tavern in a town of about 300 people. So unless something exceptional happened, he would remain an unexceptional man that history never heard of. Sandberg writes of this, this barrel. One day a farmer heading back east stopped his wagon at the store to try to lighten his load. He offered to sell Lincoln a barrel, and uh, Lincoln at first declined. But then, to oblige him, I bought it and paid a half dollar for it, said Lincoln. He put the barrel in a corner, and then months later he needed to store something, and he dumped out the barrel and out fell a bunch of junk and a copy of William Blackstone's uh, commentaries on the laws of England. Now, as some have noted, if that book is not in that barrel, 
Abraham Lincoln doesn't teach himself law at that point, or possibly ever. He does not become an excellent lawyer. He does not enter politics. He never gives speeches like his Lyceum address. He never debates Stephen Douglas. He never meets the chairman of the Illinois Republican Party. The party convention never moves to Chicago. He never becomes the party's nominee. He never becomes president of the United States of America on the verge of a great civil war. But as it happens, that book was in that barrel, Blackstone's commentary. And Abraham Lincoln would become president of the United States in 1860, just a month before the Civil War started. Now that war would kill more Americans than all other wars combined. All other wars combined before and since World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, more men killed than all other American wars combined. The war and, and Lincoln's life would end four years later. And so he had a narrow, a very narrow window to make a difference. During that time, he had to marshal every ounce of strength, strength of mind, strength of character, strength of leadership. And he did that. And in those four years, his education, his biblical principles, his peculiar moral power, and the greatness of his character changed history. As my father has emphasized, you have to write God back into the history. You don't want to erase him from it. You don't want to take God out of it. Write God back into it, back into the history, and you'll be amazed, just like I've been amazed in going through portions of that six-volume set on Lincoln, written way back in the 1920s. You see God so clearly. Let God get written out of history, and this whole nation, I'm talking about America today, it'll stumble into another much more deadlier civil war. Notice what Lincoln wrote in a letter back in 1862. He's commenting on the war raging at that time. He said, we are indeed going through a great trial, a fiery trial, in the very, in the very responsible position in which I happen to be placed, being a humble servant in the hands of our Heavenly Father as I am, as we all are, to work out his great purposes, I have desired that all my work and acts may be according to his will and that it might be so. I have sought his aid. That's an older Lincoln, a much older Lincoln, relying on God. Here's another quote from Lincoln, a conversation he had uh, with a wounded general back in 1863. This was two days after Gettysburg. He said, when everybody seemed panic-stricken and nobody could tell what was going to happen, oppressed by the gravity of our affairs, I went to my room one day and I locked the door, got down on my knees before Almighty God and prayed to Him mightily for victory at Gettysburg. I told Him this was His war and our cause was His cause. But we couldn't stand another Fredericksburg or Chancellorsville 
And then and there, I made a solemn vow. This is Lincoln writing. I made a solemn vow to Almighty God that if he would stand by our boys at Gettysburg, I would stand by him. And after that, I don't know how it was, and I can't explain it, he said, a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his own hands and that things would go all right after Gettysburg. Let me just play you one more clip. This is from President Trump's speech right here at Mount Rushmore back in July of 2020. He served as Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. Armed Forces during our bloodiest war, the struggle that saved our Union and extinguished the evil of slavery. Over 600,000 died in that war. More than 20,000 were killed or wounded in a single day in Antietam. At Gettysburg 157 years ago, the Union bravely withstood an assault of nearly 15,000 men and threw back Pickett's charge. Lincoln won the Civil War. He issued the Emancipation Proclamation. He led the passage of the 13th Amendment, abolishing slavery for all time. And ultimately, his determination to preserve our nation and our union cost him his life. For as long as we live, Americans will uphold and revere the immortal memory of President Abraham Lincoln. That was President Trump back in July of 2020. Let me just close by quoting to you again that verse in Deuteronomy where it says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, consider the years of many generations. Moses said, ask your father, ask thy father. He went on to say, ask the elders, make sure that you know your history. You can study Deuteronomy from beginning to end and really see that that's a theme, a reoccurring theme. You teach your children Study Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 and understand the importance that we as parents have to teach our children. Remember, we're products, all of us, we're products of our education. We'll offer to you at the end of this program our booklet on the subject of education, education with vision. That's what God wants us to have. He wants us to see far back into the past and far into the future as well. These booklets, Education with Vision, the United States and Britain and Prophecy, they really will help you to do that if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to study diligently God's truth. Stay tuned. Make sure you get the information that you need so that you can request the free literature today. Thank you for joining us on today's program, and we'll see you next time. <music>